Oh, happy Monday morning, everybody. Hopefully, everybody had an amazing Thanksgiving. It's such a great time of year, the holidays, in which we get family and friends together, and you try to convince your family members that pinball is fun, and we know they can't figure any of these modern games out. But welcome to episode 20 of the Canada Club. I'm your host, Canada. Let's talk about Let's talk about a few things on this episode. I want to talk about where some of these prices are headed and why I think it's justified in a way. I mean, you have to really zoom out and realize the world, how expensive things are and how short life is and how most of us out there, as we get older, we start to value things differently. And one of the most valuable things in our lives is time. And we're going to talk about that. That's why these games are going through the roof. Because nobody wants to wait. Everybody is impatient and they want to get what they want and they want to have it now. I want to talk a little bit about Spooky Pinball and are they going to be able to deliver on these two titles? We shall see. And then I just want to leave all of you with just some parting thoughts on where I think Pinball is going to go in 2022, okay? So let's talk about the pricing happening right now. And I know it seems insane. When I saw last night that Scott over at the Oracle Pinball Company, what's up, Scott? He's a listener of the show. He is listing a Pirates of the Caribbean Collector's Edition for the bargain price of $45,000. $45,000. And when I saw that, I remember just about two years ago, there was a Pirates of the Caribbean for sale on Pinside for $16,000, and I didn't buy it. There have been Pirates of the Caribbeans for sale over the last two and a half, three years, and they sat in box for 12.5 for an entire year. And how did we get to a point where a game that sat in a box for an entire year for 12.5 and everybody passed on it? Everyone could have picked up the phone and called Mike at Automated and bought it. And it's not just that. Something happened, right, over those three years. You also had stuff like simple mods for the game. Lior made a Dauntless mod for this game. I bought it for 350 bucks. 350 bucks. And I think he made 150 of them. I sold it for $3,000. $3,000 for a mod that cost me 350 bucks. We're seeing Ghostbusters LE, number 500 for $22,500. And now all these Bally Williams games, people want $10,000 for Funhouse because there's Rudy's Nightmare coming out. Are these high prices ruining the fun of the pinball hobby? Will things ever turn around and go back to the way they were? And the way they were was this. You could almost easily get any game you wanted new in box when it came out. It was not that hard. It was not that hard at all to get a game. And if you missed out on, let's say, a new in box Ghostbusters LE, I remember when Ghostbusters LE came out. If you didn't get it right away, you could have bought it for maybe $2,000 over sticker. Nowadays, nowadays, if Ghostbusters came out, with the kind of frenzy we have in this marketplace right now. If Ghostbusters came out and sold out immediately, we would see those games trading hands for double the price, for 8,000 over what people paid for it. And people would happily hand over the money. Now, 
You could look at this and say that these people are ruining the hobby, that all these wealthy wheeler and dealer guys are destroying the pinball hobby for the rest of us. And I would argue this is the natural ascension of a hobby like pinball. A lot of people didn't realize this hobby even existed. A lot of us have spent the last few years getting more and more people excited about a pinball machine. And here's why I think pinball is in this unique position. Because it's fun. It's more exciting to show someone a pinball machine than a Rolex watch. It's more exciting to buy a pinball machine than an expensive bottle of wine. And for those of you out there, a pinball machine is a better buy than 99% of the cars in the world. So if you think about the stuff that grown men buy, right, in that age period in which a lot of grown men are starting to look at their own demise. I mean this, when you reach that midlife crisis point, and I'm around there, 45 years old I am, you start to look at stuff so differently. You start to chase after feelings of youth. You want stuff that makes you feel nostalgic, that makes you feel young inside. You do. And when you can get it, you want it now. And you don't want to wait a year. And you sure as hell don't want to spend countless hours searching forums and eBay and Pinside waiting for the thing you want. If the thing you want pops up and it is easily affordable for you, then you will pull the trigger. And it just so happens that for a lot of people in this hobby, pulling the trigger on something that costs $12,000, it's just as easy for them to pull the trigger on something that costs $20,000. And then you get to the people who thirty dollars and forty dollars and $50,000 means absolutely nothing. It means absolutely nothing. And if they want it, they're going to go get it. Do I like this? Do I like that there are so many wealthy people flexing their money in the pinball world? Well, here's the thing. I think there's a lot of people asking a lot of money for games. Do I think they're getting that money for these games? Not really. These four sale ads are very high right now. But I am seeing, and I mean this, I am seeing stern LEs that are popular are now selling easily, easily. Games with DMDs in them, easily. Tron, Ghostbusters, and then you get to the ones with the LCDs, Deadpool. You get to games like Stranger Things. These games now are all selling between twelve dollars and $15,000 like that. Like you could snap your fingers and you're going to find someone to buy it immediately. If you put up a Ghostbusters LE today for fourteen dollars to $15,000, it's gone. If you've got an Ecto-1 topper, try $18,000. Because I've always said this. If you have $10,000 to spend on a pinball machine, you most likely have 20. And the whole argument, are you getting your money's worth? Is it worth it? Are you getting ripped off? It doesn't matter. You can't look at this stuff like that. You can't. Because at the end of the day, all that matters is this. You only need one buyer to be happy to justify the price of the game. Everyone else might point fingers and say that guy's a sucker, but that guy, I mean it, that guy doesn't care. And you should only get into stuff like pinball for your own personal enjoyment. That is all these hobbies are about. This is a hobby to make you happy. You shouldn't be in this hobby to make other people happy. And you sure as hell shouldn't care what other people think about how you are going to spend your money. Now, look, I am a little bit of a hypocrite 
I've spent five years calling people suckers for buying $15,000 Elviras and SLEs and this and that. And are we getting fleeced by these pinball companies? Yes. But does it matter? No. Do we want pinball to grow? Yes. Do we want more magic in these games for this much money? Yes. Are we getting it? Absolutely not. We are absolutely not getting pinball machines that have anywhere near this much money in them. And the one big regret I have is that this hobby has skyrocketed in price. But what hasn't happened, we haven't seen companies put a ton into the games to justify these prices. And now, I, I mean this, the moment Stern Pinball started charging nine grand for a premium, this hobby jumped the shark. And they did it slowly, slowly, slowly. Then boom, they just did it like COVID hit, supply shortage. And they knew they had way more demand than supply. But I can't get over that fact. That's the one thing that keeps me up at night. That we, Well, there's more than that keeping me up at night, I'll be honest. But the fact that Stern Pinball was able to do this is incredible. And we're going to see Jersey Jack follow suit. We're going to see Jersey Jack make 1,000 CEs. We're going to see Jersey Jack raise the price on all of their CEs. And now we are at a point, which I think it's good because I think these high prices are going to do one thing and one thing only. They're going to force most of us to let go of FOMO. They're going to force most of us to be patient. It's going to force most of us who love pinball to exercise some self-control. And that's the one thing we haven't had to really exercise because the games were never that much money. You never were going to lose that much money. And it was never that hard to get a machine. But nowadays, it's a lot harder to lock in those rare titles. Nowadays, those rare titles are the price of a car. Nowadays, you're going to pay double what a game is worth a year after it's out if it's in demand. I mean, Medieval Madness Royal Edition. It wasn't even hard to get it. I had one and I gave it up. Now they're selling for eighteen dollars to $20,000. Do I think it's stupid? Yeah. Would I do that? No. But again, the guy who's buying it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. A lot of these people are making tens of thousands of dollars a week in their jobs, in their careers, with their companies. Tens of thousands of dollars a week. This hobby attracts successful people. It just does. Nobody who's broke, nobody who's broke is like, I'm going to go buy a pinball machine. Nobody who's struggling to make ends meet should ever, on their list of things to buy this year, there should not be the word pinball anywhere near. Here are the things we need to buy this year, honey. A pinball machine. No. And I saw the funniest thing. A guy is selling a Tron LE new in box. I think it's like $30,000. Here's the funny part for those of you out there who say, well, pinball is not a bad investment. It should never be looked at as a real investment, though, because Tron LE is a 10-year-old pinball machine. And if you put $10,000 into Tesla 10 years ago, it is now worth over $1.8 million. So let's say Tron LE was $6,000. That's really over a million dollars you would have in Tesla stock today if he didn't buy Tron LE. So let's not talk about this stuff like it's an investment. It's not. It's a toy meant to bring us happiness. So I look at it like this. We now have to exercise self-control. 
we're now all going to be a lot, and I mean this, a lot more discerning. We are now going to demand more than ever that games really check off all of the boxes that matter to us before we spend the money. Because you're no longer going to be able to get into it cheaply and just see if you like the game. And here's the crazy part about this new marketplace. It's really starting to identify the winners and losers in the pinball market. It's really starting to identify winners and losers. Great designs and bad designs. Games people love, games people don't really care about. And the finest example of this right now is what's happening with Ultraman and Halloween versus what's happening with games like Godzilla, Stranger Things, Elvira. You can go down a list, Pirates of the Caribbean, Guns N' Roses. Why is it in a marketplace in which people are throwing money hand over fist to get anything they can get their hands on, we're still seeing so many Ultraman and Halloween spaces for sale. And here's why. There is one thing Spooky Pinball needs to do. And this is it. Like this, They need to look at what's happening right now and they need to not brush it under the rug. And spooky fans need to stop saying the code updates are going to come and these games are going to turn around. They really need to understand why this is happening. And they really should be doing more market research to understand a very simple fact. These games are not winning people over. Spooky Pinball needs to heavily invest in design. See, I think the problem with Spooky is they want to keep everything in Benton and they want to be the ones who design the games. And when I think about it, like Charlie and Bug are designing these games, I think they need to get someone else to be their lead designer. They need like a Dennis Nordman. They needed a guy like Steve Ritchie. They need someone to come in there who really is an expert at pinball design. You know, it's crazy, right? We used to say Spooky games weren't designed well. Go back over the years and, and think about like the indictment of Spooky it was always like the designs weren't great. The games were brick fest. Everyone would say that. Did they go hire new designers? No, they didn't. And now we're getting to the point where like the people who actually had good code and Alice Cooper, they're no longer there. You should go listen to the Poor Man's Pinball podcast because Ian and Drew were dropping bombs on Halloween. And they were saying how much they don't like it, how there's no flow, how the ball keeps disappearing, how from a design standpoint, it's disappointing, let alone a code standpoint, which we all know is disappointing right now. You know, the part when I think about Spooky and all the money they're making on these games and are you getting what you're paying for? And you know, clearly people right now who invested in these games are losing money on these games right now. Like none of these games are selling for more than people bought them for. None of them are holding value and people are willing to give up their spots for a loss. And that's not a good sign. And then I see that they're designing their next game. Like they're not learning the lessons. I do think that ultimately what could be Spooky Pinball's downfall, they get ahead of themselves. They don't invest in the right talent to move this company forward. And I've seen this happen with other companies. They want their names on the apron as being the designers of the game. And we see this happen, like it's this mixture of like thinking you have more talent than you do, there's probably some ego, and if you do the math, if you do the math, Spooky Pinball, after they sell all of these games, let's say on average, on average these games sell for around $8,000 each, what is 8,000 times 1,750 games, people? I'm going to do the math right now. That's $14 million. $14 million over an 18-month period, Spooky Pinball is going to bring in 
on these titles, 14 million. Now, how much of that goes into the product itself? How much of this is going to salaries? How much of this is going to rent? I mean, they're in Benton, Wisconsin. So Spooky Pinball must be making a good profit on each game. $14 million. I mean, Chuck and company are most likely going to be millionaires after they make all of these games. And I'm happy for that. Like everyone is happy that this company has climbed up from America's most haunted to this point where there's 14 million bucks in realized revenue for this company. But now's the point where they need to hire designers. They need to hire coders. This is like if Gary Stern wanted to design the games himself because his name is on the door. No, I really wish that Charlie and Bug would realize that they're at a point now. Imagine if Spooky Pinball made a Dennis Nordman game. Imagine if Spooky Pinball went and got like Eric Minier. Like, why don't they try to make a move to get someone in there who is an amazing designer? And I don't understand it. I think they need to do that. I think it'd be super smart. And I think they could keep growing this company and making it bigger and bigger and better. And that's what we all want to see. So we'll see what happens. But right now, if I'm them, I'd be nervous looking at the feedback, looking at the games for sale. This is eroding away all of the goodwill. People are not going to run to Spooky again. They are not. Like, this is not going to happen again for this company. There is going to be a lot more hesitation and a lot more doubt in this company. And people keep forgetting, like, Rick and Morty was the greatest theme they will probably ever have. The greatest theme they will probably ever have. They must have had a meeting where they said, I can't believe we said we're only going to make 750 Rick and Mortys because imagine, imagine if they just made more Rick and Mortys. And here's a real pipe dream. Imagine if they went back to the drawing board and actually redesigned Rick and Morty to shoot even better than it does and actually made the game with more mechs and actually designed Rick and Morty, like use the same code, but design Rick and Morty this time from the ground up to be Rick and Morty. That game was originally TNA 2. It was the sequel to TNA, and at the 11th hour, they reskinned it. Can you imagine? Like, if they hired Eric Minier and said, hey, make us a new Rick and Morty. I know that would piss off everybody, but Canada can dream on this episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast. It's a club episode, so most people won't hear this. All right, so we'll see what Spooky Pinball does next. Okay, so what else is happening in pinball? The truth is not a lot is going to happen in December. Not a lot is going to happen. Uh, it's going to be a very, very slow month. I don't think we're going to see Haggis Pinball get any fathoms out the door this year. When I was also listening to Poor Man's, they were talking about Haggis. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. The moment Haggis took people's money, the moment they took people's money and told them their production timeline and they missed it by six months, at what point, at what point should we be nervous? At what point should we say, hey, we've seen this before. We've seen this movie before. We've seen it when a company takes pre-order money and that money gets used to building the factory up. It's not going into the actual games. Because think about it. Where is all that Fathom money right now? Do you think it's in some escrow account that they're not going to touch? No, they had 20 employees. So where do you think the money for those 20 employees came from? Before they cut their staff to 10, where do you think that money came from? You think it came from Celt sales? No, there hardly are any Celt sales. So obviously, this is what makes people nervous. And here we are. We're going to be like eight months after they took people's money when the year ends and nobody is going to have a single fathom. 
I can't fathom why they would do that. Why would you take money from people if the games were not on the line? If you're successful and you have your own investor dollars, you wouldn't have to do it that way. Chicago Gaming Company, are we going to see Cactus Canyon remake before the year is up? Nope, we're not. The games are going to go on the line most likely in January, and that is the earliest we will see that. Now, in January, we will also see Rush Pinball from Stern. And the reason why Stern is not going to stop releasing new titles is they are contractually obligated to launch titles on a certain schedule. So even though they are backlogged and even though Stern has supply shortages and even though people have to wait a year to get their Godzilla, they are going to move on to the next titles. It's all because of how the contracts work. That's why. Stern's not doing this to piss you off. They have to fulfill their agreement with the license holder. They have to do that. That is how Stern operates. And even if that means they can only make a few thousand of each game, then they're on to the next and you're going to have to wait forever. So be it. Now, the good news is this. All of you who are waiting a really long time for your Elviras and your Godzillas, chances are you have other pins. Just play them and enjoy them. You know, I saw this thread that was on Pinside. It was Guns N' Roses versus Godzilla. And I saw all these people slamming Guns N' Roses and saying how amazing Godzilla is. And I put up a post on Facebook that says, what if I told you that both of these games are great? I do think both of these games are great. And I think they're completely different pinball machines. I still don't understand how people can't appreciate or understand the different approaches each of these games takes to creating a memorable and a magical pinball experience. I don't understand if you're a human being with real blood flowing through you, how you cannot walk up to Guns N' Roses when the volume is blasting and you turn the lights off in your room and you drink a couple whiskeys, how could you not enjoy that pinball experience. I really don't understand what's wrong with you. It is a concert in a box. And for those of you saying, well, where are the mechs? Where are the toys? It's a concert. Do you not feel like you're at a GNR concert when you play that pin? It shouldn't have a bunch of moving mechs and all this stuff. It's a concert. And it's all coming at you in such an amazing way. And you name me one music pin that makes you feel like you are at a concert of that band and I will shut up forever. And there isn't one. And so you've got that. And you know what would be great? Putting next to that Guns N' Roses concert in a box, the Godzilla pinball machine from Keith Elwin, which is absolutely phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. And they are completely different styles of games and they are completely different experiences, but they both are amazing. It's like sometimes people in this hobby, it's like they only want to eat like hamburgers every night. Like they don't want to try a different cuisine. And why not? You got to think about both of these games are like different cuisines from different countries. They're both delectable. They're both enticing. They're both beautiful. They both are the greatest pinball machines that have come out in the last few years. There's a reason why Guns N' Roses got Game of the Year. It's not because it sucks and it shoots like crap like some of these people say. It's not because it's multi-ball heavy and that's no fun. No, it's because people love it. It's because people love it. And guess what? Godzilla is going to get Game of the Year because people love it. 
And if you have both of them, guess what? I bet you're a pretty damn happy camper. And if it's not for you, right? If Guns N' Roses is not for you and you don't like the band and you play it and you're sick of the multi-balls and you sell it, okay, great. Like, not everyone is going to love it. And the hardest part is this. And then I'm going to go. The hardest part is this. Not everybody loves Keith Elwin's designs. Not everyone loves how challenging his games are. Not everyone loves him. But, but, you can't say anything negative about Keith Elwin. They'll kill you. They will absolutely kill you. The Stern fanboys are the most closed-minded people on the planet. They really are. It's almost like the Stern fanboys don't want anyone else to make anything. Anything. It's like, and, and not just that. They are on a mission. And I've never seen anything like this. They are on a mission to destroy the happiness of anyone who likes a Jersey Jack machine. I've never seen it before. It's not the other way around. You don't see Jersey Jack owners like going on this vitriolic mission to remove all of your enjoyment from your Stern machines. And they could, they could point out how inadequate and how lazy so many Stern games are, but why can't we just enjoy the best of each company's products? They feel different, they do. They play different, they do. They have different code. Everything about them is different, and I like that. I like that JJP has a signature feel and style to it that's different from Stern. If every game shot like a Stern and felt like a Stern and played like a Stern, it would be boring. So we should be embracing the fact that these two great pinball companies are giving us great options. And when I see people slam one game to praise the other, I think it's inane and I think it's stupid because these are two great games. Like it's not like people are are slamming like Guns N' Roses to praise Halloween or people are slamming Godzilla and saying Rick and Morty shoots better. No. These are two of the greatest pinball machines of all time. And most people feel that way and the sales and the data back that up. It backs it up. And so that's a good thing, all right? Everybody, this has been Canada Club episode 20. A little bit of just like a random rant kind of show. It's Monday morning. I've got one coffee in me and I don't sleep anymore because Killian is always waking me up. I love you guys. Thank you for contributing. I don't even know what the title of this show. I'll call it something. Anyway, everyone, we'll be back with more Canada Club episodes. Have a good one. (laughs) 